This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. If you choose to only have a life that's offline, you're choosing to limit the difference that your ideas and leadership can make to the people who know you in real life. When you choose to bring your influence online, you have the opportunity to expand the influence of your messages far beyond even the people who you're serving in your organization. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey there, welcome to season 10, episode two. We have a fantastic guest uh, and topic today. I'm really excited to get into that. But before I introduce our guest, her name's Becky Robinson. Uh, I've got to share with you some cool news that we found out last week, and that is that Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, uh, the uh, Feedspot did their top 100 leadership podcasts and This show, you're listening to it right now because of your listenership and you sharing it, is number 13 out of the top 100 leadership podcasts in the world, and I thought that was pretty darn cool. So A, thank you for listening. B, keep listening and keep sharing. Find the people in your life who can benefit from these tools, from the practical wisdom. From today's guest, Becky has got so much that's going to be so valuable uh, and so helpful in ways that leaders don't traditionally hear. So uh, we'll get into the topic, but just wanted to let you know that uh, uh, we made the top 15, and I think if we keep working, there's some big names in the top 10, but I think we can crack it if we keep at it. All right, so season 10, episode two, Becky Robinson. Becky is the founder and CEO of Weaving Influence, and Weaving Influence is a full-service marketing agency that specializes in digital and integrated marketing services and public relations for authors, business leaders, coaches, trainers, speakers, and thought leaders. And full disclosure, not a few of our guests that have been on the show over the years are some of Becky's clients. Since launching more than nine years ago, her firm's provided a wide range of services to help clients launch more than 150 books, enable authors to build their brands, acquire more business customers, and increase book sales. And why are we talking with Becky right now? Because if you're listening in real time in just two months, Becky's publishing her first book herself with Barrett Kohler titled Reach, Create the Biggest Possible Audience for Your Message, Book, or Cause. So we're going to be talking today about what it takes to achieve the greatest possible influence and practical steps for cutting through the noise, sharing best practices for cultivating community, and revealing effective strategies for growing an online presence. And, and I don't say this about every guest, if you're listening to all the shows, there have only been, I can count them on one hand. I'm going to tell you right now that I have ordered advanced copies of this book already for people in my life. It is that valuable and it will be that good of a resource. So I've already done that. I'm going to encourage you to do that for yourself as well before we're done. So let's get into it. Becky Robinson, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Hi, David. Thank you so much. It's great to connect with you. And I'm I'm excited to hear the positive feedback for my book. Thank you. Well, I have a little bit. You might have picked up on that already. (laughs) Okay. So Becky, we're going to get into the book, but uh, before we do, I ask every guest this question. We're talking about leadership and and leadership without losing your soul. So I wanted you to take us back, if you would. I mean, today you're a CEO, you're a business leader and and thought leader and all these different things. But if you take us back to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader, what might that be for you? Wow, that is a really uh, tough question, David. Um, but I can think of a story. So when I was in the fifth or sixth grade, I ran for student body president, and I didn't win. <laughs> I'm sure you probably hear hear those kind of stories all the time. But I think you know, in general, to me, leadership really is about influencing others. And as I look back across my life, that's always been part of what I've been about, you know, wanting to teach others what I know, share what I know with others, 
a second story would be in my junior year of high school, my family moved in the middle of my junior year and I had to start at a brand new high school. And I decided that one thing that I could do is write a guide to new students at the school that I went to. And so I wrote this guide. I remember back then that you did layout, you know, not on a computer. I'm going to age myself. But, you know, by cutting and pasting things on paper, and I put together this whole booklet and shared it with the guidance counselor so that as other students would come in, they would have the ability to know how to navigate their new school better. And I I feel like that's a leadership act of like, hey, here's a problem I'm experiencing in my life. Here's a way that I can create some content that will make it better. And then I, I went off to creating that guide. And have been doing it ever since. That is fantastic. I love that story so much. I mean, you know, and it's so, I love hearing the answers to that question because the, for so many of us, some of those are either early lessons or early activities or early moments that we identify and go, yeah, I was, I was doing that there. They continue to inform who we are today and certainly are for you. Yeah. I hadn't ever connected the dots in that way before. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I also ran for student council uh, president, both won and lost. So that's another thing that we have in common. (laughs) All right. Well, today you're not running for anything. You own, you're the founder CEO of Weaving Influence. And so I know that you work with so many different um, business leaders and authors and leadership thinkers. So I am curious, and it's, I've been looking forward to this interview because I wanted to ask you this question. With 150 plus books and all the different uh, promotion that you're doing for these books, is there a concept, a leadership concept, a uh, maybe a nugget or maybe a whole book, I don't know, that has something that stood out that was maybe super valuable or curious or interesting, or is there anything that stands out over the the years of all of these different bits of wisdom that you've been able to promote? Sure. I'm going to tie two ideas together for you, David, that come from two different authors. I'm going to start with Mark Miller. He's one of the clients that we've served the longest, and we've promoted a number of his books. Um, And two things really stand out that I've learned from Mark. The first one is, you know, as I was building my company, I didn't set out to build a business. I didn't have a business plan. Um, I was re-entering the workforce after having stayed home with my kids and landed through a series of events to building my own company, as you can read about in the book. Um, But one of the influential things that Mark did in the early days that we worked together is throughout a lot of his writing, he talked about the importance of values and in identifying the values that will shape your actions and decisions in your organization. So I was really grateful early on to have that guidance from Mark, you know, based on his advice, I identified six core values for my company that we are still using and rallying around today. But the other thing that Mark um, really impressed upon me that has never left um, his book, I think it's called The Heart of Leadership. Yes. So in that book, he talks about how, you know, you can have leadership skills, but unless you have good character, no one cares about your skills and it's your heart that matters. So that's been a really important thing for me as it relates to selecting employees and contractors to work in my organization is like identifying, you know, do they align to the values that we have? And also do they have the character that we want in our organization? Because they can have all the skills, you know, to market or pitch clients, but if they're if their character isn't there, it it ultimately won't work. Mm. Um, so that that's one. And then I want to pull in also an idea that I gained from my time in working with Peter Block. He's the author of Flawless Consulting. And when I worked in Peter's organization, there was a huge emphasis on the importance of like putting people first and the idea of connecting before you move to content in any meeting or any interaction. So that's really stayed with me. Um, something that I try to pay attention to as I work with my team is like, we're all human first. So rather than just diving into a big agenda, you know, really just stopping first for a check-in person to person and and really caring about people even more than caring about the work that they can do. And there are, before we even get into the book, two or two and a half, three very practical leadership principles for you to implement in your own leadership, connecting with people, uh, knowing your values, making decisions based on those values. And as you're adding people to the team, starting with character before any of the skills that people are bringing, because that's not there. Nothing else is going to work. Exactly. You summarized those very well, David. Thank you. Well, thank you for sharing those. And I, I, I have, it's just been, I've been so eager to find out for you over all of that 
wealth of, of leadership wisdom, what stood out for you. So thank you for, for encapsulating that for us. Okay, let's get into reach. Um, reach is about creating the biggest possible audience for your message, your book, your cause. Uh, what do you mean by reach when we talk about the biggest possible audience? You've got some specific things in mind as you're talking there. Sure. So there is an equation in the book. And one of the things I want to tell you, David, is that the subtitle is changed from the original subtitle. So originally the subtitle was create the biggest possible impact, I think, or lasting mm. impact. I can't even remember mm. now. And so when I think about reach, you know, creating a big audience is one thing. And obviously, if you want to have influence, you need to be growing an audience. But in my opinion, reach is really not only about the size of the audience, but it's also about ensuring that you're going to have a lasting impact with your work and ideas. So as you dive into the book, and I'm sure that you found this, as you as you get in early, you're going to get that definition. Reach equals expanding audience plus lasting impact. And who wouldn't want that? You know, I, and I know that we probably have some people listening today who are thinking, okay, well, yeah, I'm, I'm leading a team or I'm leading a department or I'm leading a business, but what does reach have to do with me? I'm not planning on publishing a book and I'm going to have you tell us why we might want to think about that later, but let's just start with where we are. Like, why should leaders be thinking about their reach from this perspective? Well, sure. So what I think about when you say that, David, is the fact that as leaders, we ultimately do have this opportunity to have lasting impact. You know, if I think about my own journey, I can point to the specific leaders who have impacted my life and remember the ways that they influenced me as I worked under them or for them or with them. And every day when we show up to work and lead in our organizations, those people who work with us in our organizations are the ones with whom we have the opportunity to make the deepest and most lasting impact. I think about a young woman who's working with my company right now, I will not name her, um, and she had a, a crisis last week. And early in the morning, she pinged me. I had the chance to meet with her face to face. And I had the chance to support her in a really rough moment. And so those of us who lead, we know that when we're interacting with our people, we can impact them for good or bad every single day based on how we show up, you know, how we respond to their need for help, you know, how we deal with their life outside of work, how we pour into them and shape their career. And that, that will last for their entire lifetimes. So that interaction that we have with our people is sure to be long lasting, whether we're good leaders or whether we're ineffective leaders. Without a doubt. Yes. So, you know, when I think about my book the, uh, and the idea of reach, we have a choice that we can make, David. We can make a choice about, do I want to influence the people or, who are right in front of me? And so for me, I have a small organization. You know, I am making that lasting impact on 20 or 25 people. We can think about, is that the impact that I want to have? Or do I want to choose to bring my ideas, my energy, my thoughts, my commitment? to online spaces where potentially I could have the ability to reach people way beyond my immediate sphere of influence. And today's world, that online impact, that really is what you're talking about with reach. There are the offline ways and the kind of the person-to-person -person ways that are there too, but it's so much of it and what's available for us that's different today. And, and where you spend a lot of the effort in the book is on that online presence? Well, of course, because it's the choice to invest in the online presence that expands the possibility for your reach. Okay. Now, earlier, when you're talking about reach, I, I asked you this question and I, I, have to, I have to let you go here because it's just too fun. I've got four younger sisters and you were talking a little bit about your brothers in terms of their, their leaders in their own right, very capable, accomplished leaders. And, uh, you know, talking about their reach. And I, I would love to, to, have you unpack that for us a little bit? Because I think it's a great example of what we're talking about here as a leader, some of the choices you have in front of you. Sure. And I will always take the opportunity to brag on my brothers. So I have two brothers. Both of them are tremendously influential in their jobs. Uh, my brother, who's closest to me in age, is a, is a three-star general in the U.S. Army. He's been leading in the Army for 35 years. And yes, he has a Wikipedia page, but everything he's done up until now, he's not really reaching anyone but beyond the people who know him. 
because he's not sharing his ideas in any online spaces. My other brother is in like the final career role of his life. He's a CEO of a manufacturing company. It's based in Japan. Well, my brother probably has lots of great ideas about leadership because he's been leading at high levels for a long time. But guess what? Like, yes, he has a LinkedIn profile, but he's not sharing his ideas about how he's grown in his career to this point or how he's leading online at all. And so out of the three of us, arguably, I'm the least successful, but I'm the one who has the biggest impact because I've chosen to show up in online spaces. That is fantastic. <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, so yes, you were bragging, but you're also calling about a little bit like, hey, bros, like you got some opportunities here. Well, yes, but it all comes back to choice. So, you know, when I think about my brother, David, the one who's the general, you know, he has been constrained by probably some guidelines in his organization. It might not be safe for him to be sharing his journey as an army officer while it's happening. You know, when a year from now, when he retires, at that point, he can decide, do I want to build an online presence to be able to share these lessons of my career with others? And for those who are building their careers in a corporate environment, you know, you have constraints as well. So you might have time constraints. You could have guidelines from your corporation that prevent you from sharing. So let me take a moment to brag on your wife. When I first met Karen, she was an executive in Verizon, and she made this very deliberate choice to begin to invest in her online presence. And I had the pleasure of meeting her at the very beginning, and I have the pleasure of telling her story in my book. And, you know, if you are a corporate leader who's listening to this podcast, you know, you're probably right that you might not have the time to invest in building an online presence. But I would encourage you to get my book and think through whether it might be worth it to carve out some space to begin to share the value that you're bringing to the real world to online audiences. Uh, so encourage you. And no, I'll never miss an opportunity uh, to, to brag on Karen either. And you're absolutely right. And, you know, and it's something that uh, uh, as, as I was reading the book and, uh, obviously, you mentioned Karen, Karen and I, and you mentioned some of our journey in there as well. And, uh, and going back to when I was in a still in a business leadership role, I still had all those responsibilities. And uh, remembering back to the days where I would, yeah, I would blog three times a week. I'd go home and between nine and ten at night, like it was an act of desperation almost. But I had to get that what I could no longer communicate person to person because the organization had grown too big and the people in different states. And so I started blogging for that purpose to get the audience that I had internally, forget the rest of the world, you know, uh, in terms of the online brand, but at least to serve the people I couldn't connect with face to face every day. And so when you're talking about reach, there's organizationally, you've got reach internally and externally, don't you? You certainly do. And, you know, one of my favorite things in the book is the chapter where I write about repurposing content. And I think for those who are in corporate environments and you think you don't have time to craft content beyond the walls of your organization, consider the number of times you might share in an email or a meeting some type of leadership concept that you want to get to your internal stakeholders. You can take that same content and share it in online spaces to make a bigger impact and, a, and gain a bigger audience for that. And it takes the intentionality of realizing when you're in the moment, hey, you know, this email that I'm writing, this could become an article or this conversation that I'm having, this could become a short video. And the beautiful thing about that is that when you can proactively repurpose your content with intentionality, you are ensuring that your ideas scale even farther than they could. They're scaling beyond the people that you can reach within your organization and they're scaling outwardly, and they could reach places you have no idea. I know, David, you and Karen, you know, your ideas have reached around the world in the time that you've been spreading them. Yeah, And so it's really, a, no idea. yeah, you have to ask yourself the question, you know, um, do I want to see how far my ideas can go? Do I want to see how far my influence can reach? For me, a question I've always asked is, who can God use my life and my business to bless? And, you know, maybe you're not religious, but the idea is, you know, how can I make a bigger difference for more people? And that's what lets the bottom line of leadership is making that difference for people. You know, as uh, as you're talking, I'm thinking about some of our clients uh, that, and, and you're out, and I want to echo what you said. You're absolutely right. You need to know your corporate guidelines. You need to know the environment in which you're working. 
Uh, but if you're one of the people in charge of making those guidelines, be thinking about the opportunities here. Uh, I'm thinking of some of our clients that do a masterful job of sharing their internal values in places like LinkedIn and talk about, and they're telling stories and they're sharing how those things work out in real life and, um, and employees or, you know, frontline leaders sharing their story and, and telling, oh, this happened and then how, then this principle. Well, all of that is also a, becomes an attractive force for your business because you're not just doing it internally, you're creating value externally as well. And that can be sticky and, and even a recruiting mechanism. Not that that's your first and foremost reason, you know, lead with good, but it, that's a benefit. Well, it sure is. And I, I would caution though, if you have aspirations to build your thought leadership outside your organization, you want to be careful that you don't fuel all of this as as a representative of your, of your organization. And then after you leave, you have little to show for it in terms of the influence that you're attracting. And that can be tricky. Like you said, it can be sticky. You want to follow all those guidelines. But I think as long as you are open with your organization over time, you can figure out a way that you can both serve your own longer term goals and serve the organization that you're representing at that time. Absolutely. And those don't ever necessarily need to be in opposition to each other. I mean, I know some of your clients continue to this day, their executive jobs in some of their businesses, and they're also doing their thought leadership and publishing books and, and what have you. Yes, indeed. It can, it can work really well. And, you know, in that way, uh, the corporate role also gives credibility to the content that they're, that they're creating and sharing in the world. Absolutely. Well, Becky, you have a, a fantastic forward here from Whitney Johnson, Thinkers 50. And uh, I just want to quote just a piece of it because I think it captures the heart of reach as we dive into some of the, the practical concepts in the book. So what Whitney says is what I love most about reach is that Becky isn't hawking fame. Some of you may not be famous or some of you may become famous, but that's not the premise of the book, nor is it the ultimate, the goal. Fame does not guarantee that an individual's work will be of value to others. Becky's goal is for anyone with a message to be heard by the people who want and need to hear it. She wants everyone's voice to have the opportunity to do the job it's meant to do. That's her promise, and she keeps it. And I just thought that that was such a beautiful encapsulation of what Reach is all about, because there's not a leader listening to this show who A, doesn't have a voice, and doesn't have people who want and need to hear it even if you haven't thought of it that way. So it's there for you. Yeah, I, I was thrilled to receive that uh, forward from Whitney. So I'm glad that you thought it was useful. Oh, I thought it was just beautiful. And it gets to some of, you know, we're all about human-centered leadership around here and at Let's Grow Leaders and Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. And what I loved is you base your approach to reach and online presence and uh, and magnifying both audience and impact uh, around four, uh, you call them the four commitments. Is that right? Yes, these, indeed. These, these four commitments. And and we're going to unpack these in a minute, but I just found these to be so refreshing because we live in this world where you've got all these algorithms and uh, finding things, fighting for your attention and trying to, you know, push a limbic system button and all this kind of thing that ultimately is self-destructive for us at a societal and an individual level. And that's not at all what we're talking about here. And so I found your approach incredibly refreshing. So yeah, in a world of noise and clutter and all those instant clicks and yeah, refreshing. So you recommend a different and I would say human-centered approach with these commitments. So can you tell us what these four commitments are? And then let's, uh, I've got some follow-up questions I want to ask about some of these. Sure, I'd be happy to. So there are four commitments, and I'll be clear, none of them are easy. None of them are quick, and they are needed to be invested over the long term. And so the four commitments are value, consistency, generosity, and longevity. So the first commitment has to be to value. It's really getting clear about what makes you different, what topics you can uh, contribute on, and particularly what will be a value to the people who are listening to you. And, you know, some of us start out and we don't have an audience yet. And sometimes as we show up, we can clarify what that value is that we want to bring. And that was part of my journey too. But ultimately you have to have a connection between an audience and their perception of the value that you're bringing and value has to be a commitment. You know, um, 
part of the commitment to value is I'm going to show up with value. And that leads to the second commitment, which is consistency. I'm going to show up with value consistently. And then if we skip to longevity, I'm going to show up with consistency over a long period of time. And I think that's the one that a lot of people miss. Honestly, David, we can always talk about that one later. And then the unexpected commitment is the commitment to generosity. And what I have found from the beginning of my journey, I've now been online in one way or another sharing content since 2009. Um, What I found is the more you give away, the more generous you are with your thoughts, ideas, perspectives, the more powerful those ideas become in the world. And in the book, I tell the story of David Cooper Ryder, who was the founder of this idea called Appreciative Inquiry. Appreciative Inquiry has literally gone around the world. And part of the reason is because early on, David made a decision that he wasn't going to copyright or try to control how his ideas were used. And I believe for those of us who want our audiences to expand, the best way to expand them is to give away our ideas to as many people as want to hear them. Value, consistency, longevity, and generosity. And as you said, none of them are quick, uh, quick, easy buttons. They're they're work. But the thing that is, I don't know, so appealing to me with these four commitments is as you're a leader and you're listening to, to Becky talk, I don't care if your goal is to influence a bigger audience of 10 people internally in your organization. Or if your goal is to influence 10,000 or 10 million people in the world with your thinking and brilliance and and the the value that you've got to add, is that those four principles, those four commitments of value, consistency, longevity, and generosity, that's the game. That's the real game. I mean, there are the shortcut games and all of the manipulative types of things, but this is the real deal. Value, consistency, longevity, generosity. Becky, I wanted to start with value because you said something about that, and, and it's exactly where I wanted to go, which is part of your journey of learning that value. And I know that I have wrestled with this in my career, and I know many leaders who do, is, okay, I know I got to add value, but what is my value? How do I find my value? How do you discover your value? What suggestions do you have or experiences from your own journey? Sure. I think there, yeah, I think there are a few ways. So, um, some of it is the voice inside of us. And so there might be a moment where you're creating or sharing something and you can tell that it's what you're very passionate about. So your kind of your own internal voices and your own passion can inform value, but also the reaction of others to what you're sharing can help give you clarity about your value. Um, and sometimes that has to come by experimentation. You know, you you try to share some things or, you know, you might be in a conversation with a direct report and you share an idea or a perspective about how to solve a particular problem. And you can see that that it's really influencing them or that they're seeing things in a new way or thinking about things in a new way or get a breakthrough as a result of what you shared. Those are those clues that we can pay attention to. So there's the clues on the inside of ourselves as we're creating content, but also that's the cues that people give us back when Mm. we share something and we can see that it's influencing or impacting them in some way. Mm. You're making me think of my own journey in that regard because so the internal voice uh, it made made sense. I hadn't thought about looking for those cues in in terms of how people respond. And I remember one time uh, a middle level manager, but uh, at that point in my career, and I was in the habit somebody would come to me and they'd have an issue or they're and I was always wanting to help people learn, and that's just kind of how I'm wired. It's part of my internal voice, and. I remember that one of the ways I would do that at the time was somebody would have an issue and I had a book, like didn't matter the issue. What's your challenge? I got a book for you. You got to read this one. And finally, one of my uh, team members said, David, do not hand me another freaking book. You (laughs) teach this stuff. Just tell me, just give it to me. You'll give it to me in 15 minutes and I'll know what to do. Or you can give me a book I'm never going to read. I want to hear from you. Uh, that was, you know, sometimes I need my external clues from people to be a little bit, you know, a little stronger than others. So I could be a little dense. So it was good to get hit over the head with that one. 
Well, and you know, one more thing that I would say about this is that you want to think about what's unique about your experiences and perspectives, because the best value that you can bring is yourself. And so the more closely connected the content that you create is to who you are as a person, you are the only you. So the value that flows from you will be above and beyond anything else. Um, And in the in the chapter about repurposing content, I talk about this idea of repurposing life. And, you know, at the beginning of the call, you asked me to reflect on my leadership experiences. Well, anytime that I'm going to be able to draw on real life, it's going to result in content or what I share that's going to be more powerful than if I'm just relying on, you know, someone else's ideas. Absolutely. So that's that back to that authenticity and your value of showing up as who you are and not trying to be someone else and in figure you know, all that, but your value, your experiences and what you have and how people resonate, how they respond. Uh, and what is that voice that inside that keeps coming up? So those are the places we're going to look for value. Let's get to consistency. Uh, and there's a step before you can be consistent, which is you have to start. <laughs> and uh, and I find that this is a challenging one. And so when I think of some of the folks that I want to give your book or that I uh, had, had pre-ordered for, um, I'm thinking of uh, one person. He's a physician uh, and active in national medical policy groups and uh, and brilliant without blowing any smoke because I haven't named who it is, but uh, he's a brilliant person and he's got a wealth of ideas um, in conversation with him, he has at least three books right now that I could outline just based on our conversations. And he's also aware that he needs to build reach in order for books to be successful and to have the impact and so on. And it starts to feel overwhelming with, gosh, I can repurpose my content here and this and that and the podcast and the videos and the book and the thing and that. And it just starts to feel overwhelming. So where do we start? How do we start? Sure. Well, um, what I'm going to jump to first is wherever we start, it has to be sustainable. So anyone who wants to build reach needs to do an honest assessment of three things. How much time do I have available? How much money do I have available? And how much energy do I have available? And what what you don't want to do is have all of these ambitious plans and goals and follow through on none of them. So the advice that I would give if your doctor friend were on the call is you need to start with creating a place online that you own and control. And so, David, for you and Karen, the most important web property is letsgrowleaders.com. That's the place that you own. That's the place where all your best and most important content goes. And so I would say to your doctor friend, you know, go ahead and buy your name as a domain if you haven't done that already and establish a, a website that can be become the beginning of the place where you build content. You know, after that, you know, there are a number of different paths that you could take, but typically the best advice that I have for folks is that you want to build a permission-based email list of people who know you in the real world so that as you begin to grow connections in the online world, you have a reliable way of staying in touch with people. And in the book, I do talk about the extreme value of a permission-based email list and the way that that can be more effective than growing, say, your LinkedIn followers, for example. Um, Now, there's a place for that as well, but if I were limited in my time on task to build online influence, I would start with those two things of, you know, building a website that shows people the value that I have to offer, and then from there starting to to develop an email list. Now, the good thing is, you know, if you have more money than time, you can hire support and that could be an assistant. It could be an agency like mine. Um, But whatever it is, you want to make sure that those choices that you're making, they can be sustainable over time. I remember back in the early days when I started blogging, there would be people who would pop up with all kinds of energy and excitement and they might blog daily for two months and then they disappear. Where'd they go? I would far rather see someone make a modest commitment to showing up monthly, bi-weekly, weekly, um, and be able to do that and sustain that over time than to go all guns and create some stuff and then disappear. So consistency is key. So start small enough that you can actually maintain it for an extended extended time. Now, I know you're a runner, uh, and I didn't tell our audience, we've actually known each other in this online space, never met in person, but we've known each other since you started Weaving Influence, really. 
but I know that probably you're before. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think it was like 2012, 13. It's been it's been quite some time. So you're a runner. So marathon pace, right? It's that uh, and whatever that is for somebody, but those slow runs, that conversation pace. That's what you're talking about here in terms of getting content out there in some kind of consistent way. Well, maybe, but I would take it even a step further. So if you're a runner and you understand the fact that you have to pace yourself for a marathon, this is about how can I be a runner for life? Because ideally you choose to make an impact in online spaces. And it's not something that you choose for a day or a week or because you have a book coming out. It's something that you choose as a lifelong commitment. Um, and so it's less than, you know, this race that I need to get through and there's an end. It's like, I want to be able to continue this over the long haul. I want to be a runner and, until I die. And, and what do I need to do to be able to run while I'm still on earth? There you go. So choosing a starting point, a, a way of doing things that feels like that level of, uh, what were the three things you said? There was the time, money, and energy. Yep. Exactly that. Yeah, yes. With those. Okay. And there's ebb and flow too, right? So, you know, I'm running a company right now and I, I have the time and energy and money that I have. It That doesn't mean that's what it is forever. You know, later I might have more time and energy and then I could choose to invest different differently. Yeah. And they, they shift around and even the forms of how we're showing up consistently can shift around. I mean, Karen and I used to blog everywhere from daily to three times a week. And, and we have shifted that approach depending on the kinds of kind. Con- now we're doing a lot more different kinds of content, but, but the consistency never wavers. Right? Yes. You just have to keep showing up Yeah, keep showing in up. whatever way you choose. Yeah. Let's talk about those ways because that's another element that then becomes a, a hurdle for people. And I think it's important for people to understand there are a variety of ways. So you said, like our starting point, let's we're permission-based email and like let, let's get our site, our property that uh, online that we own that's ours, so that there's that place. But for what? What are we doing? Because if I'm thinking about uh, again, some of these folks who who could really benefit from this advice. A thousand word blog every other day feels like there's no way. Um, And maybe I don't even fancy myself that much of a writer, but I've got these like little three or four sentences floating around in my head from time to time that I think have value, or maybe I'm more of a talker or maybe what are some of, you know, again, what are the forms and ways that we can be doing this? Sure. So the possibilities are really endless. And honestly, over time, they've adjusted, right? Because now we have folks who are creating and sharing content on TikTok with these really short videos and I have not chosen to show up there yet. But you know, for some people, that is a format where they can start to attract interest in an audience and share something that is either entertaining or of value or whatever. I don't know. I don't go there. Um, so I'd be happy to share just the many endless possibilities with that. You know, most of us think about writing as the most traditional form of sharing content. And we can write in a shorter form like a uh, a blog post or a micro blog post, or we can share in a longer form. We can place articles on other people's sites. We could also write longer form. We could write eBooks or white papers, or we might want to go all the way to writing a full length book. Um, Of course, you mentioned that some people are more talkers. And so those of us who like to talk can, can create podcasts, or we can create short form audio clips, or we can create video clips. You know, there are some of us who really want interaction when we're sharing content. So we could create a webinar series where we get people together or a workshop or a live class. Um, So really, you know, your imagination is the only limit to the formats of content that you can create. Now, for those who are more toward the shorter form, you know, social media platforms do give us a chance to start to share our ideas in, in shorter form, like a caption on Instagram, or, you know, a post on LinkedIn. What I would say there is that um, quite often when people are hungry for value, um, what you want to do is try to find a way to provide value that's longer lasting than an individual post. Um, And so over time, as you start to see, okay, here are the topics that I'm writing these short posts about, I would recommend that you look at that and 
land on, hey, here are some themes I can cover in my work, and then look for a more substantive way to contribute to online conversations and make sure that it's easy for people to track through those um, back to your website. So whether it's a collection of longer, of shorter posts that you make into longer and post on your website, you want some way so that your core ideas are shared across the internet over time and primarily through your own owned properties like your website and your email list. So it's always coming back to you and, and creating that, that kind of interest and gravity for your thinking. And memorability is a huge part of that. So as it, as it relates to this, one of the things that I would caution is that when you're getting started, it can feel like nothing's happening. So <laughs> Partic- true, so true. <laughs> Particularly if you're sharing on LinkedIn. I think a lot of people don't understand that LinkedIn's algorithms are not very kind to content. And I'm sure, David, you, like me, have thousands of followers and connections on LinkedIn. I happen to, at the moment, have 5,500. When I go back and look at my posts, many of those posts are being seen by 20, 50, 100 people. And so for those of you who are just getting started, like if it feels hard, it is hard. (laughs) And there really isn't any magical way to break through that it's that patience over time that can allow you to connect with people. And I would say at the beginning, you want to focus on forming individual relationships and providing value in micro ways, because as you can attract individuals to your work who find value, they might share it with others, which will help get you further faster, but it's still not fast. And in the, in the thing that I would say, I totally agree with you and the, the consistency and the generosity and all of that and the commitment to doing it over time. All of that yields the results over time. We keep coming back to that. The ways that you show up and add value there, it's sometimes it's what you're sharing, but the process of doing that sharing also forces you or gives you the opportunity to think about how do I hone this value? How do I get more concise? Let me try sharing this in a number. There have been concepts that I have tried again and again, like over, okay, I'm going to share it this way. Let me try it this way. Let me try it that way. And sometimes it takes that fourth or fifth repetition, which is now four or five years of trying to get this piece of thinking out before it finds the right voice. And so there's a benefit for us in that longevity and that commitment and consistency, as well as we're trying to add value, as well as the people who are on the other end. Sure. Uh, Let me talk to you for a minute, David, about the original working title for this book. The original working title for this book was Famous to a Few. And the reason why that that title ultimately failed is the editors and staff at my publisher said, nobody wants to be famous to a few. My idea behind the title was you become famous to a few people first. And then over time, as your audience expands, you know, you might not ever be, you know, famous with a capital F like Brene Brown or Adam Grant, but your fame can expand to more people who find value in your work. And I think it's most likely that those who are listening today are famous already. You know, if you're leading in an organization, boy, everybody who is under you knows who you are for good or bad. And once you show up online, you know, as your influence expands, It may never be that you're that household name, but as you continue over time to show up and hone your ideas, your ideas will connect with people in ways that you may never know. Absolutely. That's a different kind of famous. It it really is. And you're reminding me of uh, the way that Seth Godin talks about, you know, if you're, if you're known by a million people in the population of the planet, a million people rounds down to zero. So basically 0% of the population knows you but you can make a darn good living and have a tremendous amount of impact and positive influence with whatever the number is. If it's a hundred people, whatever, it doesn't matter. I love that famous to a few, you know, that it's absolutely, it's investing in those relationships, adding the value where that is, and then continuing to do that over time. I love too, that you had the, that working title originally. I got to tell you sometime about Karen and I, our first joint work, uh, we had a working title as well that never saw the light of day. So I think uh, I might know it. Something about a brown bag. You do know it. Oh my goodness. Brown bag 2.0. That has to be our teenager still teases. I can't believe you guys thought about like, hey, you didn't weigh in, buddy. <laughs> That's funny. 
Yeah. So for those who are listening, who aspire to write a book someday, don't get too connected to your first title. Absolutely not. And then the finished part of that story is we went through 75 titles to find the one that got published. Yeah. Wow. And it was winning well. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That was, that was that one. 75 titles. We, we cut that down to like 15 for this, the next book, but all right. So we're getting short on time. Um, but I've got, uh, two more questions. I just have to ask you, Becky. Um, but before we get into that, tell us where to find you, where to find weaving influence. Uh, and you know, I know you can pre-order the book on Amazon cause that's where I did it, but where else, what else tell us where to go? Well, so the best place to go to find all the retailers for pre-ordering the book is beckyrobinson.com forward slash book. And on that page, we have links to Porchlight where you can buy in bulk. We actually have incentives if you want to buy 10 or 20 or 50 or 100 books, uh, a lot of cool bonuses that we'll share with you. But you can find all the online retailers. You know, I personally love bookshop.org because you have the chance to select an independent retailer uh, for your sale. But all of those links are on beckyrobinson.com forward slash book. Um, if you want to find out more about me and my journey and some of the content that I've been sharing leading up to the launch, beckyrobinson.com is the best place to go. Um, if you want to find out about my company, weavinginfluence.com is the best place to go. And you'll find both my company and me on social everywhere. My social handles, for the most part, are my first name, Becky, my last name, Robinson, without any vowels. Um, so our R-B-N-S-N. Um, so Becky R-B-N-S-N on most of the social channels like Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, same, same everywhere. And we'll get all those links in the show notes on the webpage for uh, if you're driving and can't remember. Yes. Um, and if you're interested in uh, listening to my podcast, uh, my podcast is the Book Marketing Action Podcast and David and I recorded a show. So you'll soon be able to listen to that one. Um, and then also we have a really vibrant YouTube channel, um, Weaving Influence does with webinars and all sorts of additional learning for folks. And one of the things you'll see is that Becky and her, they walk their talk and you can tell that even from just what she said, there's the company that she owns, but then there's her website that's for her thought leadership. And you've got, uh, so many different opportunities there. Urge you, encourage you to take advantage of those. All right. So, First of my final two questions for you, and we're gonna have to make this one quick because I want to unpack the last one is for people listening today who, you know, have that, like, oh, I don't know if I should write a book. Maybe I have some. Why should leaders think about at least contemplate writing a book of their own? I think it has to do, David, with the possibility of creating a lasting idea that can transcend our lives on earth. So when you write a book, it is something that will outlive you. And if you pour your best ideas into it, you can ensure that people can access it easily. So if you put all your best ideas into a book, people can read it in paper, they can read, listen on audio, they can read a digital version. So it's just the most scalable way to get our ideas into the world. I just heard, I, I did not make this up, I promise, but just listening to you, three eyes come to mind. So influence, impact and immortality because it all, it all lasts, you know, if we do that. So just I love that. Where were you when I was doing my copy edits, David? <laughs> well, these things just, you know, they fly through. We had to, we had to talk it out. All right. Chapter 10, you address an incredibly important topic, increasing the reach back to the title of the book of marginalized voices, uh, voices that have not been heard traditionally uh, or even silenced, uh, but certainly for whom it can be harder to get to, to get heard. And one of the things, I mean, there's so much good in that chapter about identifying, recognizing our own place in that, um, in the whole ecosystem of the sharing of ideas and so forth. And we've got a number of people, human-centered leaders listening today who are like, yes, I want to be a part of the solution. And they're learning and they're educating and, and so on. How in particular, I want to hone in on amplification because it's one of the, the principles you talk about is you're showing up to be a part of the solution is amplifying voices of people who have had mar their voices have been marginalized over time. And what invitations do you have or suggestions do you have for folks who want to help do that? Well, David, thank you for highlighting that chapter. And I will say that it was challenging to write because it's a journey that I'm still on. And so sure. I don't have any 
easy answers for this either. Uh, but I do think that it starts with awareness and particularly for those of us who might get cranky about how hard it feels to get traction for our ideas online. I think if we can start by realizing however hard it is for us, it is 10 times harder for those people who might come from marginalized identities. And with that in mind, I think that those of us who have easier access to reach have an obligation, maybe that's the wrong word, but it feels to me like an obligation to steward our own resources wisely in ways that can help smooth the way for others. And not in a paternalistic way, um, but in a humble way of, you know, there's no reason why it should be easier for my voice to be heard than someone else's. And so in what way um, can I look to share the ideas of others who might not have as easy access as I do? Can I give someone else a platform? Can I choose to learn from others? Can I seek out books and resources and podcasts and webinars from people who potentially, you know, have blocks to their access because of their marginalized identities? Can I celebrate what I see that's good? But I think it takes a ton of intentionality. And, you know, for, for any, I'm planning an event right now, I'm, I'm the committee chair, and we've talked intentionally, how do we ensure that the voices represented are diverse, you know, and it's not about checking boxes to ensure that we have, you know, women, people of color, LGBTQ, like whatever. It's not about checking boxes. It's about recognizing that we need to hear from voices that are different from ours if we want to fully learn. Um, and so it's not even only about um, amplifying voices to give access, but it's also, we are less if we don't listen to others who are different than we are. Yeah. So much wisdom, so much value in the listening. If we can ensure that the wide variety of voices are heard. And here's what's coming up for me as you're talking is that everything that you just said and everything, all the tools that you just gave us are equally true and equally available, even if we never want to show up online. As a leader in an organization, those are things that you have the opportunity to do uh, for the people that you're around, the people that you're working with, if, you, if you'll go at it intentionally. And so as, as Becky was sharing those things, I hope that you'll take those to heart and be intentionally looking for the ways to do all of those things, both offline and online, as, as you're leading. Becky, thank you so much. I know we are out of time, and there's so much more that we can talk about, but I'm going to encourage everybody to get reach. Uh, whether you're in, interested in building your audience and impact uh, for your leadership internally or externally, or you have designs on being an author and a thought leader, it is really one of the very best resources out there. And I have read a lot of them and I haven't found anything that approaches it the way that Becky does here. She's walked this talk, she's lived it, and you're going to love it. Pick up reach, maximize your influence, and be the leader you want your boss to be. Becky, thanks again. Thank you, David. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.